Hello, and welcome to the Her and Him podcast. I am Dale. And I'm Tamara. And when two spooky theologians get married, what you get is a podcast. Halloween edition. I don't know if you, was that like a ghoul or a ghost or a vampire? I was going for kind of like the soul of a goat was really nailed it. Yeah. Well, this, in case you haven't gathered yet, this is a Halloween edition of the Her and Him podcast, which it might feel cheesy to you, but we're actually pretty excited about it. We've been preparing for this podcast intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. This is an important podcast. I've been eating lots of candy to get us ready for the Halloween podcast. We've also been walking around Target looking at Halloween costumes for our son. We have, yeah. And usually we're not super excited about dressing up for Halloween. Though I think every year we've had to because you were on staff at a church and like it was the pastoral thing to do was to dress up and be part of the event. But this year's completely different because we have Silas now and he is one and I think he certainly understands things a little bit more than when he was like three months old. So Silas is going to be Jack-Jack. Jack-Jack from The Incredibles. and Although I'd say he's a little bit more destructive than the Jack-Jack character. So he's kind of like Jack-Jack on steroids. If Silas became fire like Jack-Jack, we would be in lots of trouble. Right. We would be dead already. Yeah. He would have killed you first. (laughs) I wouldn't be far behind, but you would be first. Right. But anywho, this is the week of Halloween. and Halloween. (laughs) And there's actually a lot of stuff that happens in the last days of October and the beginning days of November that are important days. There's Halloween, of course. On October 31st is also Reformation Day, which is the day that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to that door. There's All Souls Day and All Saints Day. There's Dia de los Muertos. And there's Tamara's birthday. So all of these... Are we throwing that in as a significant day? All of these events (laughs) are important celebrations with spiritual significance. And so what we want to do today is look at their origins because a lot of these are actually connected to one another. And of course, the big one is Halloween. And so as we talk about Halloween, I thought this was really interesting. I did a lot of research in preparation for this podcast about the origins of Halloween and really what does that mean for us as Christians Is this a a holiday that is good for us to celebrate? If not, why? If so, what are some of the parameters of that? And I think a look at how it has morphed through the years and what its origins are would be an interesting thing for us to do on this podcast from a theological perspective and then the practical perspective at the end. Yeah, so Dale did um, a lot of the research for this podcast um, because he was very excited about it. Uh, So, Dale, do you want to tell us about the origins of Halloween? Yes, the origins of Halloween are 
very ancient and very complex. It's it's a very old holiday, and it dates back to the ancient Celtic celebration of Samhain, which if there's any Celtic people who have a better understanding of how to pronounce that, you can email us. Samhain, and it took place on November 1st, which is the first day of the new year in the Celtic calendar. Now, when I say ancient Celtic culture, I'm talking about like a century or more before the birth of Christ. So um, I'm not sure exactly how far back it goes, but at least 100 or so years before the birth of Christ. So we're talking over 2,000 years this celebration has its roots in Samhain, which is like the Celtic New Year. This is like the ancient Celtic equivalent of the ball dropping in Times Square. But it also signified this important transition from the summer harvest into kind of like the long, cold, dark winter that awaits people on the British Isles. I've never been to the United Kingdom, but I've heard it said that the coldest winter I ever experienced was the summer I spent in London. And so it's cold there, and you know they don't have central heating. This is 2,000 years ago. They have to live off the crops that they have harvested. And so there was this great sense of uncertainty as they transitioned into that winter. But its connection to the modern version of what we consider Halloween is that the Celts believed that on the night of Samhain, the spirits of the dead would rise and they would walk among us. (laughs) And when the dead would come out among them, uh, they would attempt to lay waste to the crops and just generally wreak havoc on people. Uh, But the presence of these souls also made it easier for the Druids. And the Druids were like the priestly people uh, among, among the Celtics. It made it easier for them to commune with the spirit world and predict the future. And so they would sit around the campfire and they would prophesy. And they would actually usually bring kind of hopeful messages to the people as they were looking towards winter. And during the celebration, they would dress up in costumes, although they didn't dress up like Spider-Man or Princess Leia or anything like that. It was usually usually just like animal skins and heads, and they would try to sell each other's fortunes, and they would sacrifice crops and cattle to their deities. And so that's kind of the early beginnings of Halloween, but then it kind of got morphed in 43 AD when the British Isles came under Roman rule and it began to merge with some other festivals. And there were actually a couple of Roman festivals that were merged together with it. One, which is called something that I can't pronounce, Feralia, I think is how you say it, it also commemorated the dead. And another celebrated the Roman goddess Pomona, and the symbol of Pomona was an apple And that's actually likely where we got this whole bobbing for apples thing on Halloween. Yeah, and so that's kind of a bit of as far back as we could see in regards to when Halloween really began. But eventually, when the Roman Empire converted to Christianity... That's when Halloween became a Christian holiday. (laughs) Right, yes. So they had tried to combine the Samhain celebration with All Souls Day and All Saints Day. And those had previously been celebrated in the spring. Right. But they moved it 
to October, November intentionally. And the idea behind that was so that they could kind of drown out the celebrations of Samhain. They thought, you know, it's not good that people are celebrating these pagan holidays. What we'll do is we'll put a Christian holiday on top of them, and there won't be any syncretism or any kind of theological issues that spring from that. We are certain. (laughs) And because you cannot see Dale's face, he's being very sarcastic. So All Saints Day was a commemoration of saints who are in heaven, and that was celebrated on November 1st. And so if you don't know too much about All Saints Day, it really had started as an annual commemoration of those who were martyred, but eventually it became a celebration of all saints who were in heaven. So regardless of the way you went out, you were still celebrated (laughs) for All Saints Day. You get the same celebration if you choked on a piece of chicken as if you died for your faith. (laughs) I think that's... That's fair. That's kind of them. Uh, So this All Saints Day celebration was um, celebrated by the Catholic Church, but many Protestants as well continue to celebrate this holiday, such as Anglicans, Lutherans, Methodist, Reformed churches usually celebrate All Saints Day, even now on November 1st. Yeah, and that celebration kind of has an interesting history in itself in that in the first couple of centuries of the church, it, they were a persecuted group. And so they would remember those who had been martyred, usually by the Roman Empire. But then the Roman Empire became Christian, martyrdom became less prevalent in in the places where Christianity was practiced. And so they kind of expanded that to include just a general commemoration of everyone who had died and was now in heaven. And again, this is still celebrated to this day uh, by a number of different Christian traditions. Right. And we're going to introduce a, a different holiday that sounds very similar, but it all kind of is happening at the same time within the span of the end of October, the beginning of November. And this one is All Souls Day, which is different from All Saints Day. So All Souls Day is on November 2nd. And that as well is a Catholic tradition where it's the commemoration of all the faithfully departed. And that's an important distinction, commemoration not of those who are in heaven, but those who are faithfully departed. That's an important distinction for Catholic theology. Right. And the big distinction there is that they remember the dead and they pray for everyone who is in a state of grace is is the way that their theology understands it but who have yet to leave purgatory so purgatory is not something that evangelical christians would believe in um and the reason we wouldn't support that is because of second corinthians 5 8 where it says If you are absent from the body, then you are present with the Lord. And so there's no kind of in-between state. And purgatory is this in-between state where you're not in heaven, but you're not in hell. And so you're in purgatory and you are waiting for the purification of your soul. So then there can be a decision made of whether you go to heaven or to hell. And your family or people you know on earth 
play a role in getting you out of purgatory. So we're not we're not going to spend too much time on purgatory because there's a lot of history behind it. There's kind of a lot of messiness, unfortunately, behind it because that's another reason the Reformation happened with Martin Luther. But purgatory is still understood and a theological belief within the Catholic Church that's being held to today. But that's where we see All Souls Day and the meaning behind All Souls Day on November 2nd. Yeah, so there's All Saints Day, which is a celebration of everyone who's in heaven. There's All Souls Day, which is the next day, with, which is a celebration of those who are faithfully departed. And that's also known as Day of the Dead, which is a bit of a different scenario than its Mexican counterpart, which is Dia de los Muertos. So Dia de los Muertos, it means Day of the Dead in English, but it has its own history, and it, it's a cultural holiday all into its own. And it actually has its own origin in Aztec culture, and it has some different customs that aren't part of a Catholic tradition, but originally sprang from an Aztec tradition. But it's generally a similar idea, and I couldn't find anywhere that that told me the original season in which they would celebrate Dia de los Muertos or what it was called before. But it is also on that period of November 1st and 2nd. So it kind of follows that Catholic calendar. And for them, it's believed that the souls of their loved ones return, uh, you know, during these days. And so these families build altars for their loved ones with their favorite foods and other items and the belief being that, you know, as long as you're remembered in the community, you are still a part of the community and, and your spirit in that way is continued to be kept alive. And so it's interesting about all of these holidays that we've already described is they all feel very similar with their origin in the spiritual realm. But another interesting fact about all of these holidays is, for example, with the Mexican tradition of Dia de los Muertos, that is not set in any sort of Catholic tradition. You'll certainly see the way that it's carried out today. I think there is a bit of a fuse between Catholic tradition and this original tradition in Mexico. But originally, they weren't connected in any way. And so we're really seeing this fuse of these spiritual traditions that happen. And again, they weren't all originally in the same time period on the calendar, but they have, through the years, all stacked up in the end of October and the beginning of November. And it is interesting that at least three completely separate cultures across separate times, uh, the Celts, the Romans, the Aztecs, they all kind of came to these similar traditions, not the same, but, and they had, certainly have a lot of differences, but very similar traditions and these understandings of the dead walking among us. And there's something supernatural that happens even in our physical realm. And so that's where this Halloween tradition kind of started. Um, but then as it came to America, it, it kind of continued to morph into what we would understand as dressing up like Spider-Man and going trick-or-treating. Yeah, and so obviously that's 
quite a bit different than its origins from these other holidays and the way that we celebrate it as Americans today. But Halloween, like Dale said, looks more like dressing up and going trick-or-treating, house to house. Um, And that actually had started, I think it was in the 1800s. Yes. So in the 1800s, people would host parties and they would dress up and they would actually go house to house asking for money, which eventually became our form of trick-or-treating as that kind of evolved from the 1800s on. But the issue with Halloween and the way that it started in America is witchcraft and sort of these black magic and evil spirits really got grafted into the holiday. Yeah, because in the American Northeast in the 1800s, witchcraft was kind of a thing. Right. Like people were really obsessed with the idea of that. So you got like these... It's just another added component to it where, you know, you got the bobbing for apples, you got the dead people walking among us, and now you introduce witchcraft into that, and that became a part of the Halloween lore kind of during that time. Right, and because of that, I think culture, obviously, from what we know of with uh, witchcraft and the way people weren't in support of that, culturally, uh, it Halloween actually became pretty unpopular around the 1920s and people were really trying to stay away from it because it now took on this sort of evil holiday feeling and that was because of the added element of witchcraft into it. Yeah, so from that point in, you know, the 1800s up until about the 20s or so, it was more kind of this fringe holiday. But then during the, the 1920s and kind of beyond, it kind of kind of picked up again, and there was Halloween dress-up parties. But there was also this thing where people would pull pranks and vandalize property as part of this you know tradition of the dead coming out and walking among us. And so that idea had continued to persist. And also it was just easier to pull pranks and wreak havoc when everybody in your small town is in one place having a party, and you can kind of run around in the dark and do all kinds of stuff. So teenagers causing trouble <laughs> during those times. And so then kind of because of that, this idea of trick-or-treating kind of came into vogue rather than having everyone in that one place with the party and all of your property unattended. Everyone would go house to house in their costumes and they would do trick-or-treat. So get, give people, give me a treat so I don't pull a trick on you. But really it was more to get everybody in the community involved and passing out candy was a relatively inexpensive way to get the whole community involved. And also it kept the neighborhood a little bit safer from pranks and all kinds of mayhem because everybody's out and about and all in the neighborhood. And then you kind of fast forward to kind of post-World War II and we had this incredible baby boom. And so now it's all these kids going around the neighborhood. And that's kind of when it essentially became a kid's holiday where kids are the ones that dress up and it's fun for them. And it became this family thing. But really from like the 1920s on up until today, in America at least, it's become mostly kind of a secular holiday that is more just about hanging out and having fun and all that kind of stuff rather than it's very kind of spiritual roots that it it began with. Yeah, and so with all of that, and maybe there are pieces of the history of Halloween that you were already aware of, or maybe like us, you found this incredibly fascinating. And there's a bunch of stuff we glossed over. Yeah. Just, there's, there's a, because it's a 2,000-year-old 
tradition. And it's not a tradition, it's traditions. Mm-hmm. And so just uh, a lot of the, the nuances of how things have morphed and changed over time and interacted with different cultures is actually quite interesting just to trace kind of the steps of how we started with, you know, Celts with animal skins dancing around a fire a couple hundred years before the birth of Christ to I'm dressing my son up like Jack-Jack and I'm going to go knock on people's doors and get candy from them. Right. And so the big question really is for us as Christians, should we celebrate Halloween? Um, if the answer is no, why not? And if the answer is yes, are there any parameters that we should put into our lives, especially as we're um, raising a family and you kind of feel that pressure of what are the parameters that need to be in place if we are going to participate in this holiday and how do we do it in such a way that continues to be honoring to the Lord? Yeah, and we've already tipped our hand just a little bit because we've already yeah, we already told you costume, so who mean, Silas is going to be. Spoiler alert. And we also actually just want to have this conversation kind of in a vacuum and apart from living in a world of COVID-19 because that's a whole other discussion. If you're living here in California, I think the governor canceled Halloween and then maybe it got uncanceled. I don't know exactly what we are or are not supposed to do on Halloween. I think it's a little bit squishy. So we're not squishy. Yeah, it's a, it's a great word to describe the present the year state. 2020. Yeah, yeah, squishy. Squishy and moist if you if you wanted Ew. to describe the year. That's a good Halloween image for what it's like. Uh, but we're, we're just going to ignore that part of the conversation and just kind of talk in a more general sense of like, generally speaking, what should you be thinking about with this? Should you have your kid go trick-or-treating? Should you uh, participate not in Halloween, but in the fall festival that your church is throwing or harvest carnival or trunk-or-treating or Reformation Day celebration where your kid doesn't dress up like Spider-Man, but he dresses up like Martin Luther. And I don't know, what do they do at Reformation Day celebrations? Do they, like, pass out paper and nails or something? No, I don't think so. I think there are many similar games and activities that happen at, like, a harvest festival. Oh, so it's like Halloween, but everyone's dressed like Martin Luther. Right, it's just Reformation-themed. So there's a more specific theme than Halloween. I so think. it's like Halloween with much more beer and a lot less smiling. <laughs> I don't know. I've never attended a Reformation party, so maybe I'll do that this year. You take Silas trick-or-treating. I'll report back to you, let you know how it went. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a hoot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyways, things that kind of should be considered is... Um, of course, we know that ghosts are not real. And, well, maybe we don't know that. So ghosts, I mean, have you seen Paranormal Activity? I haven't. Yeah, I me mean, neither, but I heard it was interesting. <laughs> well, anyways, <laughs> ghosts are not real, and we know that based on Scripture. And that, even just going back to the verse that we quoted before, is to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, which means there's no ghost state or ghost existence of your body after you pass on from this side of eternity. Yeah, I mean, and we want to be sensitive with this, but from everything we can tell from the Bible, when you're gone, you're gone. And so even, you know, someone telling you, Tamara, that 
your your mom is here with you and looking down on you and smiling. It may not, that's a comforting thing that someone may say, but it's it's not really rooted in any kind of biblical truth. Right. We can't see confirmation of that within Scripture, and we actually see the opposite of that in Scripture, where it does talk about if you are not in your body, then you are present with the Lord if you're a believer. Right. So you're not here interacting with things that are happening here. A euphemism that the New Testament uses a lot is that those who have fallen asleep and the idea that if you're asleep is that you're no longer engaged in what's happening here on earth. Yeah. You're not actually sleeping in that sense. You're, you're with Jesus and you're, you know, as awake and alive as you've ever been. But from our perspective, it's like you're asleep. You're not gone, but you're not here. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. Right. But not in the sense of you're not gone in that you're, you're not, you know, you're not non-existent. But you're definitely not here. Yeah, you're not. Did I make traveling. that clear as mud right now? Yeah, exactly. You're not traveling through Earth right now, just in a different state of existence. You are n- no longer on Earth in any form. Right. But just because there are no ghosts, that doesn't mean that there isn't anything paranormal that is actually legitimately real. But what is that? So what we do see in scripture is that there is a spiritual realm. There are demons, there are angels, and we see the curtain kind of pulled back a few times within the Old Testament, and we also see it in the New Testament. We don't see a whole lot of it. I think people try and read into it a little bit more than what scripture has given us, but Paul was very clear in Ephesians 6.12 when he said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so there are spiritual forces around us. And and I think as Westerners, like, this is hard for us. Certainly. Like, we're like, like, yes, of course, Satan is real, demons are real. But then we live our lives as though they're not. Right. And that is harder for us, like you said, as Westerners to really understand. But it is very clearly written in Scripture. And we need to take that for what Scripture calls it to be. And that there is a battle raging and there is war happening within the spiritual realm. And... We are people in in many ways that are engaged in that because we all have a spiritual side to us. I mean, we have the Holy Spirit at work and alive within us. And so just because we are in this physical realm doesn't mean there are no effects of the war waging spiritually in our lives today. What do you think are some ways that we can become more actively aware of the spiritual realm that is occurring all around us. A lot of the ways that we can be mindful of that is even in our prayer life and praying for what it is that we cannot see for the spirit of God to be at work and for him to be fighting these battles for us. But there's certainly spiritual attacks that happen in our life and We might see them as coincidental things happening 
But it is important to know that if you are doing some mighty work for the kingdom of God, like the enemy is not happy about that. And there are going to be attacks in your life. And they're they're not necessarily going to be like the movies that we see where you you have a demon like in the corner of your room and it's this most terrifying thing. Though I have heard stories of that. I have personally never encountered anything like that. But there has certainly been moments in life where you feel like you are right on the edge of what God is calling you to do. And you know that you are in the will of God. And then all of a sudden it feels like there's so much dissension within those communities that you're in. Or there are just these attacks in different way that feel like very physical attacks. Whether it be on your health or just on the leadership team that you're engaged with. Or there's just so many ways that the enemy can attack that feel like everyday things. But we can't always write those off as just everyday things. We do need to understand there is a spiritual battle raging. And with that said, we shouldn't go the other extreme and think that everything happening in our life that goes wrong is a spiritual battle. They, I mean, because you can definitely take it that way. Because I tend to err on the side of like, I'm never really thinking about it. it but there is a way to err on the other side where I'm like, no, Susie, I don't think this is a spiritual attack that got their, your order wrong at Starbucks again. Like Satan isn't like the enemy isn't after you in this way. Like, you know, they're not, everything is a spiritual attack. You know, sometimes life is just life, but there are still spiritual forces at play that we should be at, at least aware of or aware of the possibility and even to wrestle through that in individual instances where, wow, I think maybe there's something spiritual at play. And I think really when you have a gospel-centered goal in mind, you have a kingdom purpose for something that you're trying to do, and whether it's division or different roadblocks or discouragement or whatever it might be, they seem like natural human things, and in many situations they are. But when you are moving towards the mission of Jesus in making his name known, in seeking to break strongholds, and you're getting that resistance, it's something to consider that there are dark spiritual forces at play in the midst of that. And so bringing this back to the conversation with Halloween— we need to bear in mind that not everything is a dark spiritual force, but dark spiritual forces do exist, and there is some pagan ideology within the roots of Halloween. We had outlined that, and while it is today basically pretty much a secular celebration, we need to also be aware of those roots and to celebrate Halloween that doesn't celebrate pagan deities or lean into dark spiritual forces, but to guard ourselves against that. Yeah. And that might feel a little odd to be like, nah, it's Halloween. Like our kids are dressing up as princesses and they're dressing up as superheroes and there's nothing spiritual about that. Um, and they're, they're going door to door and they're getting candy and that's fun or they're doing other activities. And so we think there there's nothing 
dark or evil or demonic or any kind of evil spirits about that. And I think there's certainly some truth to that because of the way, again, that this holiday has evolved and and what it's become. And it's not so much centered around any kind of spiritual presence of, of any kind anymore. But we do need to be mindful of the fact that there is that root still and it might come out and we need to be on guard against those things. And we need to certainly not invite that into our lives and we need to not give the enemy a foothold into our life in that way. And it might feel small. It might not feel like any sort of a big deal, but the reality is the enemy is real and we do have control over him getting a foothold in our life. Like we are grounded in the spirit of Jesus and we have power because of him, which means the enemy doesn't have this power that we have lost all control over any work he does in our life. Like we can create opportunity for him to come in unknowingly and we need to be on guard against that and we need to be reminded that it's real. And so this holiday might give way to allowing those footholds in. And so we just need to be more mindful on this holiday, but in life in general. Right. So probably a good rule is on go trick-or-treating, but don't try to summon the dead or get involved in witchcraft or Ouija boards or any of that kind right. of stuff. Even and as a joke, like, like it's a little, you just, just don't play around with that stuff, you know? Right. And that's, I think that's a big deal, especially as you become a teenager. I remember it was around Halloween that Ouija boards became like this fun, like, oh, let's just check it out. Oh, let's just summon the dead. And, it's a Friday night. We don't have right. Else to do. Yeah. No, like stay away. <laughs> don't. It's not a fun thing um, to play with. And I think that's where it is. Like I said, around this holiday is when those things become like, oh, fun. Let's just check it out. Like, don't check it out. Just stay away. Continue to bring, be like Elsa from Frozen or something. Right. So <laughs> when you're thinking through like your own stance on Halloween with your family and your faith, the first thing to consider is that, you know, Ghosts aren't real, but demonic forces are. And the second thing to consider is that being a part of your community is important. And so we mentioned this, that really in in the past 100 years in America, this holiday hasn't really been so much a spiritual holiday. It's been a secular holiday. It's been a community holiday to dress up, have fun, be a part of the community. They have these big parties together. They'd be out and about in the community doing trick-or-treating. And that in and of itself is is a good thing for Christians to be involved in with that mindset of being a, a part of your community, being uh, salt and light in your community, being just a force for good and uh, and loving your community and uh, gaining influence in your community to lead them towards a relationship with Jesus. And so this is a, it's a prime opportunity for that. Yeah, and so we can utilize this holiday, again, however you choose to celebrate it. Um, and another kind of <laughs> disclaimer is is we're not talking about the uniqueness of this year. We're talking about just Halloween in general. Um, however you choose to celebrate, there is certainly an opportunity for you to engage in your community because it's something that is a shared experience And whenever there is a shared experience that we can honor the Lord in, that is always going to be a great opportunity to be a witness 
to be, like you said, salt and light to the world and to hopefully show people the love of Jesus even through just engaging your community. Yeah, and this is something that the church has been a part of, you know, for decades now. Uh, I don't know exactly when the kind of church fall carnival trunk or treat thing came into vogue, but I think it was probably around 20 or 30 years ago that these things really became pretty popular. And when you think about like what everything that was happening in America in the 1980s, whether it was, you know, crazy murderers, poisoning ibuprofen in drugstores. There was, you know, I don't know if these were true accounts or not of, you know, people putting razor blades in candy or whatever it might be. I don't know if that was, you know, why I stale or if that actually happened. Uh, the 1980s was the golden era of serial killers. And so there's a lot of scary stuff happening. And the way news media was changing was introducing a lot of fear. And so the church became a place that was very safe to have these kinds of fun celebrations and trunk or treat and there's going to be no razor blades in your candy and there's going to be friendly faces. Everything is safe. Everything is clean. And so it's providing the space for the community. And so the church has been an important part of that and we can continue to be an important part of that. So if your church is involved in those events, then that's, that's something to be encouraged. And if not, there's other ways that you can, you know, be a, a good positive force in your community and to use Halloween as an opportunity for that. And one example is actually our pastor, the pastor of our church. He, uh, every Halloween, will hang out in his front yard with his family, and he has like a bonfire, and he is grilling up hot dogs that he will give to parents that are taking their kids trick-or-treating. And so like on his block and in his neighborhood, he's the hot dog guy. And really, I mean... If if you got a hot dog guy in your neighborhood, that's that's a good thing. I would go to that house. Right, like yeah. Silas, this is the house we're hitting. This I want we hot, hot dogs. dogs. Yeah, <laughs> he just gives out hot dogs. Right, right. And yeah. so you know that's just you know it's it's uh, for the people walking by. It's like not like a huge thing, but in many ways it is a, a huge thing to get a you know a friendly handshake and a smile and a hot dog from your neighbor. And so you can be a part of fostering just goodwill and good things in your community, and there's a lot of creative ways that you can do that simply by the fact that there are people out and about. They are open to chatting and being social in ways that you don't really often get that opportunity. I mean, at least for us living in Southern California, I know maybe it's different in different parts of the country, but really, like, we like people don't hang out in their front yards and connect with their neighbors uh, really all that much. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of intention. And so Halloween really is a day that's like low-hanging fruit that you can just, you know, hang out with people and, and be a part of that community. So really to completely disengage from this and to not participate in it at all is a wasted opportunity because it's on people's calendars as they're going to be out and about, whether you're offering something at your church or you're just being a friendly neighbor at your home there's a lot of opportunity to be effective in that. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.
Hello, hello, Quinice Petway here, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. Are you someone who loves to take a deep dive into God's Word, one verse at a time, to explore His will for your life and desire to draw closer to Him? If that sounds like you, I'd love to invite you to head over to lifeaudio.com and search Your Daily Bible Verse to tune in and subscribe for daily inspiration, life application, and spiritual transformation through the in-depth exploration of God's Word.